Yeah, so I'm really excited to speak with you guys. We've been going through a series on faith, this acronym up here behind me, you can see it. And I'm actually talking with you about the second letter there, the A, availability. So before we get into this, I just want to start with a quick word of prayer. So pray with me. God, I just pray that um, people would come away hearing your word tonight. I pray that you would help my words be clear, um, not so that I can sound smart or wise, but so that you uh, would be rightly represented and that your wisdom would come through. And I pray, God, that you would just give us all the next step as a result of of hearing your word, that we can respond uh, in obedience to that. So please help us in that, God. Um, Thank you for being here with us, and I just thank you for this time. Amen. Okay, so availability. It's kind of this nebulous concept, maybe. I want to help us define kind of what it is uh, in relationships with people and with God, right? So uh, in our relationships with people, it's something we can pretty easily understand. You know, someone asks, are you available for lunch on Saturday? You look at your calendar, and you're like, well, I don't have anything there, so probably, unless I forgot to put something in, right? Uh, You say, yeah, okay, I'm available for you. Uh, If you see something, you're like, oh, Sorry, I'm bowling at that time. You know, like if you have something like, no, I'm not available, right? Like with people, it's pretty easy to see when we're available or not. But this also applies to our relationship with God. Um, Each of us has opportunities in our lives that God brings up. And he, he presents these to us and says, are you available for this? And when it's a question of availability of time, it's pretty easy to see like, okay, there's nothing on the calendar, I'm good. Or there's nothing in my brain if you're, if you don't keep a calendar. Props to you, I can't do that. But you're like, no, I'm good. Uh, When it comes to availability to God and to the opportunities God brings up, we can get pretty weird, you know? We're like, ooh, dude, I don't know about that. Like, I think uh, I'll do that next week, you know? Or like, "Uh, that person will be in town some other time. I'll I'll hang out with them after, you know? And I'll see them in a couple years and repair the relationship then. Or even like, a thought that I definitely had in college was like, I'll work on that after college, right? God is like, hey, you need, you need to work on this. And you're like, after college, that'll be, that'll be good. Um, this is like telling someone who asks you, hey, are you available? You know, you look on the calendar and you like, kind of look around, like no one's watching. You put in like, find a movie to watch on Netflix. You know, you're like, you're just making up reasons to not do uh, what someone's asking you to do. Why would we do that to God? I think ultimately it's because uh, we're selfish. You know, we like controlling the direction of our own life, and we like controlling what we do, or at least thinking we're in control of that. Um, we choose to be distracted. We choose to ignore the opportunities or just say no. We're like, God, I hear you, but no. Um, the reality is that God brings up opportunities in our lives for our good and for the good of those around us. So we should try to have an attitude of availability towards God. And a great example of this is the prophet Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah is recounting in in, uh, Isaiah 6, he's recounting this vision of how he sees God. He's like in heaven and he's seeing God and God says something and Isaiah responds. Go ahead and read Isaiah 6, 8. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, here I am, send me. So, Isaiah, in response to God looking for a messenger, he thinks, well, I've got a mouth. (laughs) I can talk to people. I can do that. Uh, Here I am. You know, send me. And this doesn't necessarily mean God's going to choose him, right? 
like God does. You, know, you don't have to worry about like God does pick him. But the important part for our purpose tonight is that Isaiah proactively made himself available to God. Right? He recognized that there was an opportunity, and he let God know that he was willing to do it. So along with this topic of availability, this making ourselves available to God, we have to talk about obedience, because availability is tied to obedience. That's the first blank on your hand out there. Availability is tied to obedience. So they are different, but they're really closely related. Being available to God means that we are recognizing and willing to take action on the opportunities God gives us. Obedience is taking action on the things we know God has commanded us, specifically what he's given us in the Bible to to do, right? And so they both involve our willingness to say yes to God. Availability is in response to opportunities, and obedience is in response to commands. So 2 Timothy 2, 20 through 21 tells us, now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, and ready for every good work. So these verses show us that the more we walk with God, the more we we are obedient to him, and the more um, we cleanse ourselves from what's dishonorable, the more we're going to be available for what God has for us, for the opportunities he brings up in our life. So again, this is availability is tied to obedience. But all all of us struggle with this, right? Because we have a sinful nature, you know, that uh, is actively against the things that God wants for us. So I just want to talk to you about how we can grow in these attributes, how we can kind of start to overcome the sin nature that just wants us to go against God and to help us understand how we can grow, how we can grow in those things, I want to talk about Abraham. So we're going to look at Abraham's example in the Old Testament and then some, some New Testament things that were said about him. So Abraham's story starts in Genesis 12. And the floods just happened. Humanity's come back. He's like, you know, in, in Genesis 11, they're like, all right, this guy had a son who had a son who had a son. And then there's Abram. Abram. He's not Abraham yet because God changes his name later. But Genesis 12, 1 through 4 says, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. So I mean, this is like a pretty good cold open for a guy in the Bible, right? It's like, God had said, go, so Abram went. Like, that's, you know, he's got some, some availability and obedience to God there. So, even though God hasn't told him where he's going, he's like, yeah, I'll do it. He packs up, and he heads out. You know, if God told you, like, I want you to get as much of your stuff as you can into a car and just start driving, what would you do? You know, you can think about that for a second. We're not going to spend a lot of time there, but I think it's a good question to consider. And this is the first circumstance where we see these attributes of availability and obedience in Abraham's life. There's two more that I want to look at with you. Uh, The first one, it's not in your handout, but it's this. After Abraham packs up and leaves, God tells him that his offspring, right, Abraham's descendants, are going to be like the dust of the earth. So that if anyone could count the dust then your offspring could be counted. 
Have you ever tried to count dust? Me neither. I don't even need to wait for a, like, it's impossible, right? And that's what God is saying. Like, no one's going to even be able to number your descendants. And so the problem here is that Abraham and his wife are super old. They're like in their 90s when God tells them this. And they're both kind of like, okay, how's this going to happen? Because we can't have kids at this point. Um, But eventually, you know, they they get to a point after some interactions with God where they both say, okay, like, we're going to trust God that he can do this. And he does, right? Eventually, years later, which is even more crazy, like, they had to wait years for this, right? They have a son named Isaac. And God tells Abraham, this son, Isaac, is going to be the way that I multiply your descendants. Isaac is going to be carrying on your line. And this brings us to the second situation, the, the next situation where we see Abraham's availability and obedience. Um, you know, he's trusted God uh, in spite of them being old. God gives him a son. God says, this is the son. Like, this is the guy that I'm going to uh, make your line go through. And then in Genesis 22, we come to this point in the story, and God says, or the Bible says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Now, let's just take a moment here, right? Like, how specific did God need to be for that command? He's like, take your son, your only son, the one you love, Isaac, like that dude, the one that I specifically told you, take him, go sacrifice him. And then Abraham, it doesn't tell us anything about the night, right? I imagine Abraham had some struggles with that, you know, as he's going through the night, like, man, what am I going to do? But What it does tell us is that early in the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, took two servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God told him about. I mean, this just seems impossible to reconcile with the previous statements God's made, right? But, I mean, look at his response. He just goes. It's the same type of situation we see in the first time we meet Abraham. The Lord says, go, do this thing, and Abraham goes and does the thing. You know, there's this direct response. And Abraham doesn't close himself off to God, even though the situation seems impossible, right? He's still listening to God. He's seeing what God is commanding him, and then he's responding to that. And the rest, later in Genesis 22, we see how this plays out, right? Abraham has prepared everything. He's going to sacrifice his son. Like, he's going to kill his son, because God told him to. And then, we jump into Genesis 22, 12 through 14, and God says, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now, that I, now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I will surely bless you, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So in this situation, we see God providing a ram to be sacrificed in Isaac's place. And this is actually a really cool symbol of the future coming of Jesus. You know, where God doesn't just give a ram, he gives his one and only son, right? The son he loves as a sacrifice in our place. So God provided a way for us to be spared from the consequences of sin. 
And that's how all the nations on earth are blessed through Abraham's descendants, right? Like all, everyone who becomes a Christian is, a, is blessed because of Abraham and because of his obedience. And notice the last phrase God says there. He says, because you have obeyed me. Like that, that happened because Abraham obeyed God. And we see an important interaction here between Abraham and God that applies to us today just as much as it applied to Abraham back then. So I made a little graphic to help us see this. Uh, if anyone wants like a signed copy afterward, you can let me know. I know it's pretty impressive. So firstly, we got God calls Abraham to take a step of faith, right? God says, hey, I want you to go. I want you to do this. And Abraham has a choice. Am I going to respond? Am I going to respond in obedience? Am I going to be available to God? Or am I, I going to shut myself off? Well, he responds in obedience. And then, because he responds in obedience, God's blessing occurs to and through Abraham. Now, the next step, God calls Abraham again to something that requires more trust and more faith. And Abraham responds in obedience because his faith is growing, right? He's seeing God continue to come through in these different ways. And as a result of his obedience, God blesses Abraham more, and he blesses people through Abraham more. And this just goes on over and over in Abraham's life where we see his faith growing, we see his obedience just really leading to blessing for him and for others. So this just strengthened Abraham's trust in the Lord, right? By the time God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, he was so confident in God to fulfill his promise that he obeyed even though it seemed impossible. And A.W. Tozer, he's this author who wrote a book called The Pursuit of God. He says it like this. This is a quote from his book. He says, he, Abraham, would offer his son as God had directed him to do, and then trust God to raise him from the dead. This, says the writer of Hebrews, was the solution his aching heart found sometime in the dark night, and he rose early in the morning to carry out the plan. It is beautiful to see that while he erred as to God's method, he had correctly sensed the secret of his great heart. Don't you wish you had a relationship with God like that? where he could say, hey, I want you to do this. And you think, well, that seems possible. So I guess he's just going to raise someone from the dead. <laughs> like, that's crazy that Abraham had that much faith. But it has just been built up in his life over and over because of his obedience. So, I mean, other people looking at this situation would be like, what the heck? Like, that makes no sense. I don't understand. Like, God, I'm not doing this because, it, like, no, no, I'm not going to obey you. But Abraham had just experienced God enough that he knew that, God's going to come through. And in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapters 11, chapter 11, there's a you know, faith hall of fame is kind of what it's, what it's often called. And the author gives a bunch of examples of people from the Old Testament who live by faith. And no shock, Abraham and his wife Sarah have a pretty big feature in this chapter, right? And these next passages kind of help us understand Abraham's motivation uh, for his availability and obedience. And that is this, availability and obedience are driven by faith. And I'm going to go ahead and read the verses that are under here. You only have the first uh, few words in your handout, but you can track with me on the slides. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. And that's verse 8 and 9. Verse 11 continues. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. 
And then verses 17 through 19, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be counted. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. So this by faith, by faith, by faith, right? Faith is the driving force behind their availability and obedience. And something that's important for us to recognize about faith is that faith is a gift from God. Faith is a gift from God. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, faith, is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So God is the one who gives us faith in the first place. right? You cannot live by faith without God working in your life. So faith is from God, right? That does not mean that God makes choices for you. We still have to make choices, and we can choose to follow or to ignore God's direction in our life. So if you've committed your life to Christ, there's this awesome confidence that you can have that God has made it possible for you to choose to follow him. You know, because of the Holy Spirit, uh, we actually have the ability to choose the right things. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, Therefore, my friends, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And we see through this, right? We're, we're making choices to follow, but we see that growing in obedience is a process. It's not immediate. We don't become Christians and all of a sudden our lives are perfect, right? We still struggle with sin. It's a process where we grow. And God wants to help us. That's a really awesome truth. That gives me, like personally, that gives me hope that I can change. And that the sin that I deal with in my life is not going to be there forever. Because God is helping me. And he can do anything. So when we choose wrongly, we don't have to put ourselves uh, you know, in like a spiritual timeout. We're like, well, can't talk to God for a week. Messed up. No, like <laughs> that's not what God wants. God is saying, hey, I just want you to confess, you know, not, don't do that again, like move on with me. And if you mess up again, like, all right, I'll forgive you for that. Keep moving, try and grow in obedience. And God helps us in that. And if you're in Christ, like God has forgiven all the sins you will ever commit. He's forgiven everything you've ever done. And he's given you a freedom to change. So don't believe you know, lies that come from inside or from outside that say you're incapable of change, that say that you're always going to make the same mistakes, that you're never going to be good enough. Like, those are not true. God is working in you, and he will give you really, like, purity, cleanliness, you know, this obedience that this verse talks about that uh, really is how we become obedient to God. It's just a lifelong process. Romans 8.1 says, There's, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So tonight, we have a choice of deciding to follow God or not. And as we consider just what God is trying to communicate to us through his word, I just want to give you some practical ways that you can work on, on taking these next steps and being available to God 
and obeying God's commands. So number one is step out in faith. Step out in faith. You know, you should be taking wise risks based on God's word. If you never take risks because of your faith, your faith is never going to grow. If you never take risks because of your faith, your faith will never grow. So take action on the opportunities that God brings up. And then you can actually expect him to bless you in that because you're obeying the things that he wants and you're taking advantage of the opportunities God gives you. Number two is pursue personal holiness. Again, we need to recognize this is a process. We need to trust God to lead us towards that. And we need to persevere and not lose hope. So maybe tonight, as you're thinking about this, as you're thinking about personal holiness, um, maybe there's a pattern of sin. That you're like, yep, okay, I know like what it is. I know what I need to do. Um, you know, I've let it go on too long. I know it goes against God's commands, and I need to get it out of my life tonight. Um, maybe there's a choice you need to make that you're putting off because you know it's going to be difficult, you know, that it's going to be hard to make. But I would encourage you, if you have a step of obedience that the Holy Spirit is putting on your heart right now, write it down. Maybe even talk to a friend and say, hey, this is what I'm, I'm trying to do tonight. This is what I'm going to do. Can you ask me about that next week? If they're a good friend, they'll ask you about it. And you can, you can make sure that you're really pursuing personal holiness. And again, 2 Timothy 2.21 says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, and ready for every good work. So choosing to cleanse yourself from sin and pursue holiness is a major part of making yourself available to God. Number three, spend your availability on eternal things. Spend your availability on eternal things. You know, often we value ourselves over others. We value our own time, uh, our money, or whatever resources we have, you know, and we just end up using our, those resources on things that are inconsequential for eternity. So if you want to use your resources well, you need to know that God, his word, and the souls of people are eternal. And because they're eternal, they're eternally important. So investing your life into those things will always pay off, literally forever. Like you cannot go wrong investing in your relationship with God, getting to know his word, and investing in people. Number four, adopt an attitude of willingness. And this is towards God and people. We need to be willing to listen to God, willing to take the opportunities we see him bring up, and willing to invest in people, right? If people are eternally important, we want to be willing to invest in them and help them and love them. So Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So our attitude towards other people, and especially towards God, should be one of willingness to serve, invest in, and love them. And having that attitude will make us available to do the good things that God has prepared for us to do. So just as you look at each of these steps, each of these uh, areas that you can grow, just think about which one you want to focus on and what you're going to do. I would encourage you to maybe even circle the one that kind of stuck out to you, um, the one that you want to really focus on, even over the next week. And then choose, you know, what is your next step of obedience going to be? Um, are you going to choose to be available to God? Are you going to look for opportunities and buy them up? Um, if you haven't yet committed to the life of Christ, I can tell you that that is your next big step. You know, 
Christ is the only way that we can be forgiven of our sin and have a right relationship with God. So God provided for us, right? He provided for us by sending Jesus, his only son, to die in our place. And Romans 10.9 tells us, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the first step in taking in really growing your faith and your relationship with God is committing your life to Christ. So whatever your next step is tonight, go ahead and make sure to take action on it. Uh, Don't let yourself be distracted. Really talk with God about what you're going to do in response to his word. And then, like I said, telling a friend um, what you may want to do and even asking them to follow up with you would be a good way to make sure that you follow through. One truth that I think is really important and helpful to, to know and to consider is that the more we say no to God, the harder it is going to be to say yes later. And so God really wants the best for you. He wants you to have a fulfilling, meaningful life. Um, He wants to know you, and he wants you to know him. And so I would just encourage you, if you make yourself available to God, and if you pursue obeying God, you will be blessed, and you will be a blessing to other people. So what are you going to say yes to in God's direction? Let's go ahead and pray together. God, again, I just thank you for the opportunity to to read your word, to study your word. And I pray that you would just help um, whatever you've put on our hearts tonight, Lord, to really be something that we do. God, that we don't just hear it uh, and move on, but that we really really take in what you're telling us and make changes to our lives as a result, Lord. I just thank you that you've given us your word, and I pray that you would really use it powerfully tonight. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.